Okay, man, buckle up because today we're starting a new series on the podcast and the focus is going to be all about leadership. John, over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about, we're going to, it's going to be like a character study for men and for men's groups, for fathers and sons. And we're going to be talking about leading well, biblical lessons on you know leadership principles. We're going to talk today about Moses. We'll talk next week about Joshua. We'll spend some time talking in week three about Jonathan. And of course, you can't talk about leadership without bringing up Jesus and leading like Jesus. But but maybe before we get into any of this stuff, and really Moses is a good first guy to start with, because a lot of our a lot of our men listening or young men listening are gonna say, Oh, this one's not for me. I don't really need this series because I'm not a leader. What would you say to the guy who's about ready to t- tune out? Well, please don't. Young man, you know, middle-aged man, even even if you're in the golden years, God is calling all men to lead. Now, you you might be an introvert. You might even say you're socially awkward or that you're not an effective communicator. If that describes you, please stick around. I think the Bible would challenge the attitude that you're not called to lead. Now, we're going to get into this in a little bit. I I don't believe every man is called to lead large groups of people, but every man who's married is called to lead his wife well. If you have children, you're called to lead your household well. And every one of us should be mentoring or discipling at least one other individual, which means we're called to lead them well. So so hang with us. We're going to get into some very practical things today to come straight from Scripture. And, and we're going to see how God can use all of us in very powerful ways, even if we're reluctant at first. Yeah, I think about some of the men that I disciple, young men, even older guys our age or older, John, and... You know, some guys say, ah, that's not really my temperament. I'm I'm not a leader. I look at these other guys. I look at the pastors at the church or whatever. These guys are leaders. I'm I'm not a leader. I think some some young men and old men are gonna have to overcome maybe years of insecurity, years of feeling um unworthy or unqualified. And I think it's just good to remind everyone at the outset that. Jesus is famous. God is has long been in the business of taking underqualified, even disqualified people, as we're going to see in Moses' story, and using them. And he loves to do that because it, sh- it really shows th- their reliance on God. It's not about the leader, actually. It's about the God who empowers them to lead. So Jesus chose a bunch of nobodies, basically, to, to be his followers. And and really, God has been doing that from the beginning of the Bible. And God still does that. I mean, there's an old saying that I'm sure a lot of the men on the podcast have heard, God doesn't call the equipped, God equips the called. And, and a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about in this leadership series, these are areas where we can improve, you know, we can grow. So so maybe you're not a great leader right now. Maybe there are areas where, you know, you're not an effective communicator or you don't have great empathy for the people you're leading. These are all things that we can get better at and and we can ask God to empower us and equip us and and he will because he wants to use us to accomplish his purposes. Even Moses, you know, we're we're starting out this series with with this character in the Bible who 
didn't start out really as a good leader, was, was reluctant, had a lot of excuses, but he grew in his leadership and God used him to do incredible things. I, I would say if you just simply define leadership as getting others to go where you want them to go, that's the definition of leadership a lot of people use. Moses had to be one of the greatest leaders of all time hmm. because he took a stiff-necked, grumbling, complaining people and led them into the promised land. Okay, so open your Bibles, men, to Exodus chapter 2. And really, the story of Moses starts before Exodus chapter 2, because Moses was the guy, John, maybe we should just catch people up. Moses was the was the little baby in the in the basket in the reeds. He was spared by he was right, he was a Jewish baby born in, in Egypt in a time when um when the Egyptians enslaved the Jewish people. So why don't you just real quick give us a little background from Moses's early, early days, his infancy, and then what what happened because of God's leading really in his life, how he sort of grew up before we even get to Exodus 2. As you mentioned, Brian, Moses's mother, you know, it's a pretty famous story. We all probably heard it in Sunday school if you grew up in the church. She put him in a basket made with pitch and tar to make it waterproof and kind of sent him down the river. And and you get the sense that she intentionally placed him in the spot where she did because Pharaoh's household came down to, to bathe in that area. And one of Pharaoh's daughters sees Moses, sees him in the basket. She keeps him for his own. So he's raised in Pharaoh's household. He's raised in this, really this opulence in this uh, royal household. Uh, we know, we'll get in this in a little bit, that from Acts that he he was smart. Uh, he was strong in word and deed. He had the knowledge of of how things worked in the nation of, of Egypt. And then something happens. He, he grows up, and many years later, he's, he's out visiting, uh, kind of watching his fellow Hebrews. He knows that he's, he's not Egyptian. He's Hebrew. He sees how hard they're being forced to work. And this incident happens where he sees an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. He looks around to make sure nobody's watching, and he kills this guy. Moses killed the Egyptian that was beating the Hebrew, and then he tries to hide his body in the sand, but he gets found out. And so he has to flee, flees to an area called Midian, and that's really where we kind of first see God reach out to Moses and begin to call him to lead his people out of Egypt. So really, what what we can take from this first part of Moses' story is that it didn't start off so great. You know, well, I mean, I guess it started off great in a sense that he had this background, he had this he had he was afforded this incredible opportunity to be to be raised in the in the household of Pharaoh to get educated all that stuff, which I guess you could equate to anyone who's listening to this in America, that's essentially you. Like you were you won the lottery, you were born in America. You were born in opulence, but like Moses, many of our listeners kind of blew, maybe blew it, blew their opportunity, wasted, like the prodigal son story, they wasted, uh, they may, maybe some listeners are sitting here saying, I'm disqualified because I've made some really big mistakes in my life. I've got some big time sin in my life. There's no way God would use someone like me who has such a, such a dark past, so many skeletons in the closet. 
Yeah, I wouldn't want to minimize that sin in the sense that God doesn't minimize sin, but God's forgiveness is bigger than anything you've done. And I can't imagine many of our listeners have murdered anyone, and that's what Moses did. And God still had a plan for Moses. God still wanted to use him. So regardless of what your past is like, men, if you bring that to the foot of the cross, if you lay that before Jesus and ask for forgiveness, he's going to forgive that, and God can still use you. You you mentioned earlier, Brian, that the God, that seems to be his recipe. God likes to use the broken. God likes to use those that that have made big mistakes. And I think there's there's something about that that gives God more glory, that we clearly see that God is the one that, that's at work. Okay, so Exodus 2, Moses kills the Egyptian, he ends up fleeing. So he, he's got to get out of Dodge. And, and really, Moses at this point is, is at least, I mean, I'm going to guess he's at least in his 20s or 30s, right? He's, a, he's an adult. He's a young adult at least at this point in Exodus 2. But now he's out. He leaves. He leaves his, he leaves his palace. He leaves his, not just the Egyptians, he, he leaves the, the Hebrews and he goes out to the desert. He's going to be out there for a long time, for a long time, John. And it's out there where a lot of people would, would think in Moses' shoes, they would think, it's over for me. I've disqualified myself. Um, and, and now I'm just going to live my life sort of separate. I'm going to just try to be a better person from here on out. I think probably a lot of guys can relate to this. I'm just going to lay low. <laughs> Moses is laying low. But we're going to see that this is right where God, down the road, decades later, this is where God's actually going to call Moses, who is an older man at this point. He's going to call Moses. We'll look at this in a second, but he's going to call Moses to go back, to re-engage, to lead once again. But maybe right here, before we get into that part of the story, some of our some of our guys are still saying, I don't, I don't think I'm the one. I don't think, I don't think I have the leadership gift. God is going to call Moses to a very specific leadership opportunity. He's going to call him to deliver his people from bondage in Egypt. So, man, we're not saying that every one of you is going to have that same calling. And I would actually affirm for some of you listening that you may not have the gift of leadership to lead large groups of people. I don't believe the Bible calls all men to do that. Uh, in Romans 12, 8, as Paul is listing the spiritual gifts, he says, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If your gift is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. So I think Paul recognizes that one of the spiritual gifts is leadership, and he says, if God has given you leadership. So that implies to me that not everyone has that spiritual gift. Not everyone is called to lead large groups of people. But if you do have it, he says, man, you better take it seriously. Take that responsibility seriously. You know, all the gifts we have, the Bible says that every gift that God gives, every spiritual gift, primarily is for the edification and building up of the church, of the body of Christ. So if you're not using that, if you're not taking that responsibility seriously, just think of how many men are recognized as leaders in their community or in their profession, but we're not leading at home. We're not leading at church. So if you sense God has given you the gift of leadership, exercise that gift. Again, 
I think all of us, every man is called to lead in the home and to lead at least one other person in discipleship. But some of you listening, God has given you literally a supernatural, a spiritual gift of leadership, and we need to be using that. Now, that that doesn't mean that just because a guy is successful in his business means he should be leading a church somewhere, right? God judges our heart. God, God doesn't judge the outward appearance like the world does. This verse is, is convicting to me, Brian, and I've had men in my life, thankfully, who've kind of held my feet to the fire on this. It's really one of the reasons I'm in ministry. I, I've always been what I would call a reluctant leader, very similar to Moses. I'm, you know, back in high school, I was I was captain of the football team, even though I was not the most gifted player, was clearly not the best guy on the team. I was president of the show choir in high school, even though I was not the most gifted singer. It seems like so many of the small groups I've been in over time, even if I didn't start out in that group as the leader of the group, eventually I'm I'm co-leading or even asked to lead it. Um in my previous career, I recruited and led over 1,800 sales professionals in the industry that I was in. And yet, if it was up to me, honestly, if I just had my pick, I would stay in the shadows. But I've just been challenged by Christian men who earlier in my life recognized I, I did have the gift of leadership. Like That's one of the giftings God has given me. And, and they said, John, you need to take that responsibility seriously. Like You, you need to use that. God has given it to you to use for the building up of the church. And man, I sure hope that doesn't come across as arrogant as I say that. I don't, I don't say that with any pride at all, but I've just come to recognize it is a gifting I have. And so I need to use it for God's glory. Yeah. And I want to just speak to the other men who are listening, who can relate to what you're saying, because they're in the business world and they do have that gift of leadership. I want to echo what you said. That doesn't mean men that you're called to go into ministry. John, I'm so glad that you were. I think our church really has benefited from your leadership in the church. But to the men who are out there in the business world, like use that for Jesus, lead well for Jesus, and you should be the biggest givers in the church. You should convert that. Not everyone's called to full-time ministry, but if you have the gift of leadership, that in our culture, that equates to income. And so I bet you you have the gift of giving too, men, if you're really good leaders. We know a lot of men in our churches that are great, great leaders and and are blessed financially because of that. Okay, so give back to the kingdom of God. Be a bit challenge yourself to be a bigger giver. I think it'd be great, Brian, to wrap this up again just before we get into Moses specifically for the guy that's maybe still wondering where am I supposed to lead if I'm not leading big groups of people? And and I would point you to Ephesians 5 verse 23 and 24, it says, for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives submit to your husbands and everything. So again, that's that's where I would say to start, men, if you've never really led anywhere, if you're trying to figure this out, if maybe you're a reluctant leader, start leading well in your home. You know, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, make make decisions together. Take her input. Take her feedback. You know, we don't, we're not saying lead like a tyrant, but lead. Man, so many women are discouraged because their husbands fail to lead. And I think that's a great place to start. 
All right, back to Moses' story. So Moses flees out there to the desert. He ends up working for his father-in-law. So talk about like going from bad to worse. He's working for his father. I mean, his father-in-law was a good guy. We'll get into Jethro in just a second here. But then there's this famous this famous story in Exodus 3 where, where Moses encounters this burning bush. And God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. And he, and he basically is saying, okay, Moses, I'm going to call you to go back to Egypt and you're going to lead my people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, out of slavery and into the promised land. And here's what Moses says in verse 11. He protests to God. Remember, Moses is the reluctant leader. Here, here's, here's proof. He says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Okay, so twice Moses says, who am I? I want guys to think of that. Remember that because I want you to think about God's response, by the way. Anyway, God answers, I'll be with you. And this is your sign that I'm the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested again. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, then they're going to say, well, what's his name? And Moses said, so then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So John, I think it's so interesting that Moses said twice, who am I? And God's response is twice, I am who I am. So Moses is focused on himself on his lack of qualifications, and God is saying, it's not about you, Moses. It's about me. Yeah, Moses didn't think God had the right guy. <laughs> uh, he was scared. You're, you're going to see more what-ifs from Moses. You know, he, he had this, who am I at the beginning? Then he gets into a series of what-ifs. You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? And I appreciate the honesty of the Bible. That's one of the things I love about Scripture. Uh, leadership is scary. Leadership is scary. It's it it's a burden when you recognize that your decisions impact more than just you. But I actually think that's one of the blessings of leadership, Ryan, because it keeps us very aware of our dependence on God. You know, our our wrong choices, our lack of clarity, have bigger consequences when others are involved and people are following us. I remember, and it's maybe a silly example, but when I was single, my roommates and I never locked our door when we'd go to bed at night. And I, I remember some nights we didn't even close the door, like literally the door <laughs> would be left open. But when I got married, the night I got married, I remember checking to make sure the door is locked to our home. Mm. It was just this different recognition that, wait a minute, I'm responsible for someone now, someone else is depending upon me. It, it's different. So Moses was scared. Moses had fear. If I think if we have a healthy perspective on leadership, there's a, a sense of that that drives us to be dependent upon the Lord, drives us to recognize how much we need him, which I think is a good thing. Moses's conversation with God continues for more than one. We start in chapter three and it goes e even into chapter, almost all of chapter four. Moses protested again to God. Well, what if they don't believe me? 
What if they don't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, hey, what's that in your hand? This is so, it's just so interesting, John. Moses is still just trying to worm his way out of this calling. He's so reluctant. And, and God is just sticking with him. God wants to convince him. So he says, what's in your hand? And Moses says, a shepherd's staff. And he says, so throw it down on the ground. And then Moses threw down the staff. It turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. And the Lord said to him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a separate staff in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, perform this sign, and then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Yeah, look at all these what-ifs, again, that Moses is coming up with. Then in verse 10, if we keep on reading, he says he gets tongue-tied and his words get tangled. He repeats this fear about being a clumsy speaker in chapter 6, verse 12. So that it's fast-forwarding in the story, but after he does speak with Pharaoh the first time, and God tells him to go back and talk to Pharaoh again, Moses comes up with this excuse of, I'm, I'm a clumsy speaker, I can't do it. In fact, some scholars I know have, have wondered if maybe Moses had a stutter because of the different ways that it's communicated. Uh, but what's interesting is in Acts 7, verses 21 and 22, when Moses is being described, it says, when they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. Isn't that interesting? This is a statement that's made about Moses before God called him to lead his people. It said he was powerful in speech and action before the calling. So Moses wasn't slow of you know, tongue. He, he didn't get tongue-tied a lot. He wasn't a clumsy speaker, but in his mind he was. He let his fear creep in. He let his fear give him a distorted view of the giftings God had given him. Now, we're not, we're not saying we need to become prideful. You know, we shouldn't walk around and say, oh, I'm so articulate and I'm such a great communicator. <laughs> no, we, we recognize that the gifts we do have are from God. So he gets all the honor. He gets all the glory. But man, don't let fear distort the reality of the giftings God has given you. Yeah, Paul said it like this, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. God chose things that the world considers foolish. You know, we talked about the disciples. In fishermen, tax collectors, Jesus didn't choose the Pharisees or the religious leaders or the political leaders or the wealthy people. Jesus chose nobodies. And that's what Paul's saying. God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And this is what God was doing with Moses. Moses felt like he was disqualified. Moses felt like he was unworthy. Moses was insecure. Again, some of our men listening might feel the same way. I'm not a leader. You got the wrong guy. God wouldn't use someone like me. And what we're trying to tell you today is that is not true. That is a lie from the enemy. Satan wants you to sit back and, and stay on the sidelines. Jesus wants you to get in the game. And this is what Moses did. Moses gets in the game. Exodus 4, 20. Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. Reluctantly, right? It was, a, it was an argument with God for a chapter and a half, but he went back, and I love what it says at the end of verse 20, and in his hand, 
he carried the staff of God. Now it's not just the shepherd's staff. Now it's the staff of God. Yeah, this is really the turning point for Moses. He he's still, I'm sure he still has some fear. I'm sure he still has, you know, some doubts about his ability, but clearly he's all in. And one of the reasons I say that is it says he took his wife and sons. I mean, that's a dangerous move. The safe bet would have been to leave his wife and kids with Jethro, leave them in Midian, because their life could literally be in danger when he brings them back into Egypt. So you can tell that even though Moses still has those doubts, he's he's going to be obedient. He's all in. And then there's this really crazy story, Brian, when he's on the way back to Egypt that I think, again, just shows the importance of obedience. So it, it's in verse 21. It says, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I've empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will refuse to let the people go. Then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. So this is, you know, this is God's plan of what's going to happen in the Passover, everything that's going to happen to eventually bring the people out. But but there's this thing that just seems to like pop up out of nowhere. You know, when you're reading it, you're like, wait, what? What's going on? And it's in verse 24. It says, On the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him. So the Lord confronted Moses and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Sipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. And after that, the Lord left him alone. So you're, you know, you're reading this story and all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, God was going to kill Moses? What is going on here? Well, Moses hadn't circumcised his, his sons. Moses had broken the covenant that God had established for all the Jewish men that they would circumcise their sons. And so you know, luckily, Moses' wife, who wasn't even Jewish, she recognized what needed to be done, that, that Moses needed to be obedient. I know one of the commentaries I read on that passage said that maybe she was the one who had originally protested doing it because she wasn't Jewish. Maybe she thought it was barbaric, but now she sees the seriousness of the calling of Moses. You know, she has a glimpse of the sacrifice that it's going to mean and the importance of obedience. So this this idea of obedience, man, I think is more important than our giftedness. You know, as we continue on in the story of Moses, you're going to see littered throughout the book of Exodus and even other books in, in the, the Pentateuch that it'll say Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded. In fact, when you have a chance, look at, at uh, chapter 40 in Exodus, seven times in that one chapter alone, it says Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded. Now, I'm not saying that God promises things will go smoothly when we're obedient. But our obedience is important. You know, it's not just what we say. We've all heard about leaders who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. Like if if the people you're leading were following you based on your walk, based on where you're going, where would they end up? Yeah, and it's interesting, John. You, I think you, this becomes evident in the story that that was in Exodus 40 that Moses did everything. Because some of our listeners are saying, "Well, I haven't done." I haven't been 
like a great model of obedience to God so far in my life. And that's why I feel disqualified. That's why I'm reluctant to get in the game, to be a leader. That's why I can't lead my wife because we've got 20 years of me not being the spiritual leader in the home. And she has been, and I'm ashamed of that. And I've, and what a great example for Moses. It says that he was obedient later in his life. He was an old man by the time he was obedient. I mean, even the story, he hadn't been obedient about circumcising his boys, at least some of them. And now he is. So it's never too late, men, to step up in obedience. And I love what you said. It's more, it's more about obedience than it is about your qualifications. And Moses is a perfect example of this. Okay, so Moses finally makes it to Egypt, and and you know anyone who's seen the movies, you know what happens here. God calls down plagues. Basically, what Moses is doing is he's trying to negotiate with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart is hard, so Moses stands in the gap between Pharaoh and the Israelites. Eventually, um, Moses leads the Israelites out. You know the the um, the Egyptians chase him. You have the 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 awesome thing that happened in the Red Sea, the parting of the sea, and and the Israelites finally make it out. So Moses stands in the gap, first of all, in Egypt, and then they they get out of there. Awesome. Great victory, right? But then no, now in in the desert, Moses is going to have to, once again, he's going to have to stand in the gap now, not between the Israelites and, and Pharaoh, but now between the Israelites and God. So that's Really, I think one of the things we learn about leadership through Moses is this idea, John, of standing in the gap. Yeah, it's interesting that he does it on both sides, I think. He's definitely a, a guy that's standing in the gap between Pharaoh, between this oppressive ruler. You know, Moses is the one that's kind of facing his wrath and having to look at him eye to eye as all the plagues are happening and, and as God is moving things. But then when they get out into the wilderness, you see also that Moses stands in the gap between God and the nation of Israel, first at the request of the people, but then just as an intercessor. So read a couple passages here, Exodus 20, verses 18 through 20. says, when all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sounding of the ram's horn and the mountain enveloped in smoke, they trembled and stood at a distance. Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, they said to Moses. But do not let God speak to us, or we will die. Do not be afraid, Moses replied, for God has come to test you so that the fear of him may be before you to keep you from sinning. So just prior to this, God spoke to the nation of Israel from the mountain. And the nation of Israel is like, okay, we've had enough of that. <laughs> we, we've seen God's holiness. We've seen God's power and authority. And and Moses, if this keeps up, we're going to die. So would you be our representative before the Lord? Would you speak to God on our behalf? And, and so Moses agrees to do that. And then Moses kind of stands in the gap because of their sinfulness. God says, I've had enough. I, you know, I'm going to get rid of these folks. So in Exodus 32, verse 9 through 14, God is talking. It says, the Lord said, I have now seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I'll destroy them. And I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. And here's where Moses stands in the gap. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord as God. Oh, Lord, he said, 
Why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God has rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Now, if you've if we had read the whole story and everything that's happened up till then, the Israelites had already caused Moses so much grief. And I got to be honest, if I were in Moses's shoes and God said, hey, I'm going to wipe them all out and I'm going to start over with you, there would have been a part of me that thought, man, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> that That sounds like maybe the way to go. But no, Moses stood in the gap for the people of Israel. And then it, it also says God changes his mind. I don't want to get too far off topic here, but I just, I would let guys know in his, in his foreknowledge, God already knew that he was going to relent. He already knew how Moses would respond. It's not, it's not really a changing of the mind, but it, it does show us how God involves people in accomplishing his plans. Like, I, I don't doubt if Moses wouldn't have interceded, God you know, God would have and could have carried through on his plans to destroy and, and start again with Moses. So, I think, John, this is why some men listening are are reluctant, because, the, you know, to hear what you just said about standing in the gap, men, sometimes you're called to stand in the gap. Sometimes you're called to to really, like, go to God on behalf of your wife. Go to God on behalf of your kids. You know, stick it out represent God to your wife and kids or to the people that you're leading. Um, sometimes that means having hard conversations like Moses had to have. He had to have hard conversations with Pharaoh. And a lot of men are saying, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at conflict. That That's part of my problem. I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to do it. I, I'd rather just be on the sidelines than have to engage like that and stand in the gap. I've had to have multiple conversations over the years that were difficult to stand in the gap for people that that I lead. And it's important to do, guys. And it it is hard. But again, those hard things drive me to the feet of Jesus. They they drive me to God and asking God for help. Just recently, I had to have a difficult conversation with um, a homosexual couple that wanted to serve in our kids' church ministry. Now we we welcome everyone at our church, but someone living in unrepentant sin, we're not going to give them certain leadership or service opportunities. And that was a conversation that my kids' church director, you know, if, if we just look at our org chart and, and responsibilities, probably, I don't know if I'll say should have had, but 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 certainly could have had. But she was dealing with a lot at the time. She had a lot on her plate. Uh, she was already feeling overwhelmed. And I just knew asking her to have that conversation would not have been a win for her, that I needed to stand in the gap for her. I needed to, to be the one to take on that responsibility and have that difficult conversation of, hey, we love you. We want you to keep attending, but we can't affirm this lifestyle and and we can't have you leading in our kids' church ministry, you know, if you're going to be in unrepentant sin. So we just have to do it, man. I mean, 
you know, I, I don't always think it's fair. <laughs> I don't always think the mantle of leadership that God has placed on men is fair, but it's good. Everything he does is good. His plans are good. And so I can trust it. I think one of the ways that we as men really can stand in the gap for our wives is, is just refuting the lies of culture. We, we have a culture out there that tells our wife if they don't look a certain way, they don't measure up, that, that tells our wives that being a mom and being a wife is not the most honorable thing you can do. Man, we need to stand in the gap. We need to, we need to speak against those lies. And there's something, when I see men do that, I don't know about you, Brian. I get fired up and I, I get excited. I, I remember if you guys are college football fans, the Oklahoma State coach, Mike Gundy, when the, the reporters were attacking his quarterback and really picking on him. And he, he, in the press conference, he said, if you don't attack someone, attack me. I'm a man. I'm a 40-year-old man. Don't attack some 18-year-old kid. Like I just, now whether you agree with the way he, he handled that or not, that's a different conversation. But I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you every young man on that football team said, coach has my back. Like, this is a guy I'll follow. This is a guy who leads well. Yeah. And I, you know, I think there's one more thing we learn from Moses about leadership. And that is that you can't, you can't do it alone. You know, standing in the gap is one thing, but if you, if you're standing in the gap by yourself, if you look around men, if you're going through this series in your men's group, uh, you know, at, at the church where I lead, John, we have such a strong men's group, and I love it. I love to see these men meeting every Saturday morning and and encouraging and challenging one another to be leaders. So it's not just one guy. I'm sure Moses, for much of this, Moses felt pretty lonely, pretty isolated. He felt like it was all up to him. He was reluctant. He didn't want to do it in the first place. And he's frustrated. You know, Pharaoh was hard-hearted. The Israelites in the desert were hard-hearted. And it, it came to this point where in Exodus 18, Moses' father-in-law Jethro, he saw all that Moses was doing for the people. He says, what are you really trying to accomplish here? Why are you trying to do all this alone? Well, everyone stands around you from morning till evening. And so it, essentially what Moses is, what Jethro is saying to Moses is you're going to wear yourself out and you're going to wear the people out. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle by yourself. So people can go read Exodus 18 for yourself. This is basically where, where Jethro encourages Moses to set up a leadership structure in Israel. And maybe that's a good place to end for today, John, is that men look around and I hope you're part of a culture where you're not the only one doing all the work. I hope you're part of a culture. And that's really the point of today's first lesson is all men should be called to lead. All men should pitch in. So whether it's at church, whether it's in your home, fathers, you should encourage and, and, and challenge your sons to lead. Again, it's not just a man thing. I want to make sure everybody hears that, but this is the men's podcast. And we're calling men to step up and lead. And you should do it in a community of other men who are going to get in the game like you are. I appreciate that Moses listened to Jethro's advice. How easy would have been for Moses to say, "Hey, man, I, I'm the guy, <laughs> Jethro. You don't you don't know this. You know, I I know you just look at me as your son-in-law, but like I'm the dude. I'm the one that God called to lead these people. But no, that's that's not how he responded. He listened to Jethro's advice. He took his feedback. Numbers twelve three says that that Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. 
And we're going to get into humility and the importance of that as a leader when we talk about Jesus, because he he exemplified you know humble leadership more than anyone else probably. But humility is so important. We need to be willing to take feedback, and we need to be willing to give leadership away. Now, one of the things I so appreciate about you, Brian, is you are always looking to empower other people. You're always looking to raise others up, and that's how we need to be, men. You know, we, yes, we need to stand in the gap. Yes, we need to lead, but we should be looking for ways to pour into other people and, and help raise them up. So I just have maybe a couple questions that, that I'd kind of want to end with before Brian lands the plane. And the first one is how, how open are you to feedback, men? You know, do you, do you seek it out? I think that's a, a great quality of a leader. We just did our our evaluations as a staff at our church over the last couple of weeks. And one of the things that I really challenged our pastors on is I want you to seek more feedback. They're all humble guys. They all take feedback very well, uh, but I would love to see them just seek it out even more. So what would your wife and kids say about how open you are to feedback in the home? What would your coworkers or your subordinates at work say? Uh, and then the other thing is just, are you pouring into anyone? Are you raising up another leader? Are you equipping someone to help stand in the gap with you? So that's how to be a leader like Moses. He had this monumental task of leading the Israelites. They were grumblers. They were complainers. They were stiff-necked and rebellious. He was reluctant at first, but he submitted to God's authority. He was careful to obey him, and he remained humble throughout. God used Moses to accomplish amazing things, and he can do the same for you, men. If you're listening to this and you say, I can relate to that guy, I too am reluctant. I'm not sure that God has the right guy. I think he does. God wants every single man, young and old, to step up and find somebody to lead. Now, if you want to talk about this with your men's group, with your with your son, uh, with a mentor, you can find all of this online. It's our it's our lead leadership series on our men's page at pursuegod.org forward slash men.